this evening uh, to prepare for the Lord's Supper, where um, we want to come to the Lord's table and we want to remember uh, the Lord Jesus and remember His death. When we look at the scriptures, we see that from the beginning of history until the end of the time of the New Testament, God has been constantly speaking to humanity about one thing in the main, and that is the Lamb of God. Over and over, from Adam, from Abel and Cain, until the Apostle Paul, God has wanted you and I and all men to hear about the Lamb, the precious Lamb of God. And so we will take a, a little journey throughout the Bible, but a quick journey, and to see what the Bible says about the truth and reality and doctrine of the Lamb. First of all, God revealed to our first, among our first parents, the need of the Lamb. When we go through Scripture, we see the various aspects I'm going to speak to you about here and there. We could pick them out of many places. But in some places, they're particularly emphasized. And the first thing we see at the very beginning of human history is that we need the Lamb of God. Amen. Genesis 4. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought to the first firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. And right from the beginning, we learn that God will not just take anything. There is not just any way to God. There is not just any way to deal with your sin. And God says to all other ways but his own way, which is the way of his own dear son as the Lamb of God, God says no. No, 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 no. So the first thing as we come to the Lord's Supper is in our hearts we're saying to the Lord, we confess our deep and desperate need for the Lamb of God and for no other. No other for my sin. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Amen. What can make me clean within? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. The second thing we see as we go on in redemptive history is that God reveals not only our, our need of the Lamb, but His provision of the Lamb. His provision of the Lamb. Don't turn to these passages unless you're really quick because I'm just reading little parts of them, the main part, and you'll see what I'll say. Where was this really emphasized? Think, think with me through the Old Testament. Oh, yes. Yes. Abraham takes three days and he walks to this mount with his son and God has said you must offer your own son as a sacrifice. And Abraham is stopped at the last moment when he lifts up the knife, you'll remember. And then the scripture tells us that Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked and behold behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. 
What struck Abraham that day? You know, we hear preachers preach about uh, Genesis 22, and they preach sermons and say, you must put your all on the altar, like, like Abraham put his Isaac on the altar. And dear people, that's not the main point. Yes, you must put your all on the altar, but that's not what was happening. Abraham, at least, was struck by something else that day. And here is what the scripture says. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. The Lord will provide the lamb, the substitute. The lamb will come from almighty God. He will come even from the very presence and the bosom of God, for he will be the son of God. And so as we go out through the, New, the Old Testament, we find an imperfection in the shadows of the Old Testament where men must offer animal sacrifices. And we know these are just shadows of the true lamb to come. But there's a real problem, isn't there, with this fact of men offering sacrifices, men providing the sacrifice. And in a sense, yes, we know God, even if they had the lamb, God gave them the lamb. Law of life comes from God. But there's something... There's something that's problematic. When we get to the last book of the Bible, in Malachi, we see God angry with the people. And he says, you're bringing to me offerings that are, inf that are, uh, that are marked by infirmity and blemishes and imperfections. And you're bringing these things to me to my altar. He says, take it to your governor and see if he'll like that sort of offering. And he says, for I am a great king, and from the rising of the sun to its setting, I will be praised in a way worthy of my name. And there shall be brought to me one day a sacrifice worthy of the name of the infinite God, because I will provide the offering. Men will not provide anymore. Men will stand back, and Almighty God will open his hand. And out from a virgin will come the Son of God. So as we come to the Lord's Supper today, we, with faith, thank God that God has provided the Lamb. And that we partake of blood, the blood of the Lamb, the wine and the bread of the one who's come from heaven itself. Isn't it wonderful? That our atonement has come from God Almighty, from the love of God, and from the provision of God. As we go in in Scripture, we see not only the need of the Lamb and the provision of the Lamb, but then we, God reveals to us that it's the slaying of the Lamb that saves. The slaying of the Lamb. And in Exodus 12, when the people are going to leave Egypt and uh, God institutes the Passover and he tells them what to do, we read this. God says to them, and they're still in Egypt, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month, the lambs. There to all, every family in the country is to take a lamb into their house for two weeks, 14 days. It's enough to see if there's any blemishes in it isn't it? They keep it for 14 days. And he says, you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel, two million people at least, shall kill their lambs at twilight. Two million people, hundreds of thousands of families, and in every house, in every house, a, 
across the land of Goshen. Lambs killed, 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 killed. The lambs are killed. And why is that so? He says you'll kill the lambs at twilight. Then they, they shall take some of the blood. And the blood is the sign and the mark that the life has been taken away. The life has been taken away violently. They shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, not the lamb, not a living lamb, but when I see the blood of a slain lamb, then I will pass you by. And as we come to the Lord's Supper tonight, we see this wine which represents the blood, and we know that when God has seen the slain Lamb of God, His Son pouring out His soul on the cross of Calvary for our sins, taking upon Him all that we merit, then we know that the Lord passes by satisfied. The slaying of the Lamb. John read from us from Isaiah 53, and when we come to Isaiah 53, we understand quite well that Jesus is not given to save us by the example of his perfect life. It is not the example of Jesus' life that can save anyone. If he had not gone to the cross, if he had not been slain, poured out into death, there would be no hope for us, not a single hope. For the wages of sin are death. And so when we get to Isaiah 55, we see the multiplication of these descriptions of suffering. That he was smitten of God and afflicted. He was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquity. And the chastening for our well-being fell upon him. And by his scourging, we are healed. It speaks of his grave and his pouring out of his soul. And so as we come to the Lord's Supper, we think of our precious Lord and we think of the fact that it was his not uh, sparing himself from the hell of Calvary and from death itself, going all the way to the death of the cross that saved us. Blessed be his name. If I can just say one more word before I move on, and, and uh, I'll go quickly. Um, when Jesus says, my God, my God, why, how, why hast thou forsaken me on the cross? You remember this moment. And uh, we might be tempted to say, why is Jesus asking God why? But remember, Jesus knows full well that he's quoting Psalm 22. And Jesus is in the precincts of hell. The eclipse has happened. The earth has been darkened. No man can see what's transpiring between the almighty and holy, holy, holy God of the universe and the Son made man. No man can see. But we hear this piercing voice. And what we hear is Psalm 22. And what's happening is Jesus is claiming Psalm 22. He's saying, I am the man of Psalm 22, and I own it. I will stay upon this cross. 
I know why God has abandoned me. I know Isaiah 53. I know I am being pierced through for the transgressions of my people. I'm not quoting because I'm wondering. I'm quoting because I am owning and saying, this one is mine. And so as he quotes, he stays and he pours out his soul unto death. The slaying of the Lamb of God is what saves your soul and that alone. And then as we go on in Scripture, the Old Testament reveals to us not only the need of the Lamb, the provision of the Lamb, the slaying of the Lamb, but also the purity of the Lamb. When we reach Leviticus, we read words like these. Very interesting that God is so specific and repeated about this one issue. He says, If the worshiper's gift for a burnt offering is from the flock, from the sheep or the goats, he shall bring a male without blemish. Without blemish. And then he says, You shall not offer anything that has a blemish. Anything. Every offering shall be pure as pure can be, without a blemish. For it will not be acceptable for you. And when anyone offers a sacrifice of peace offerings to the Lord to be accepted, it must be perfect. There shall be no blemish in it. I am the Lord. And so we've come to the table to tonight and uh, as we take the cup and as we take the bread we are saying expressing our faith that here is one who has been the perfect sacrifice the the man of perfection offered unto God all the life we should have lived all in obedience that was worth the obedience of worlds if we could have all done the works of angels, it would not have matched, to be truthful, the one act of the one man, the one obedience on Calvary. This is a great mystery. For the scripture says that by the one act, by the one obedience of the one man there, shall many be justified. Such obedience, such a transcendent obedience of saying yes to God from the depths of hell, from the depths of hell for something he did not owe. And all the requirements of God toward a multitude of the elect, all those violations of his law, all those omissions of what we did not do and should have done, and bring it all together and heap it in a great mountain before the living God and this one act of Jesus obeying on the cross merits has a greater, infinitely greater merit than all, all that we owed. The purity of the Lamb. The purity of the Lamb. We must never forget how incredibly pure the Son of God was as he offered himself for us. We must never forget it. The scripture emphasizes it. It was fitting for us to have such a high priest holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens, who does not need daily 
like those high priests to offer up sacrifices first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. The Old Testament law had weak and imperfect priests, but the gospel brings in a son who is made perfect forever. And so we're thankful as we come to the supper for the purity the wonderful purity of the Lamb. We'll never reach it in this place. But He was pure for us. As we go on in the Scripture, we find out that God reveals the personality of the Lamb. And I'm, I'm mostly through. The personality of the Lamb. The need of the Lamb, the provision of the Lamb, the slaying of the Lamb, the purity of the Lamb, the personality of the Lamb. What a surprise, perhaps, when Isaiah penned his prophecy or spoke at first, and the people here that the Lamb of God is to come and he will be a man. A man of sorrows. A man of sorrows. And acquainted with grief. He opened not his mouth like a lamb led to the slaughter, but not a lamb. The lamb is a man. And because of that, his sacrifice is voluntary. He knew what he was doing for you. He knew exactly what he was doing for you. And it was active. He poured out his soul unto death. One of the theological phrases that I'm, I'm not fond of is the passive righteousness of Christ. The theologians speak of Jesus' active righteousness, his obedient life before getting to Calvary, and his passive righteousness, they say, was his sufferings on Calvary. They, it's not wrong to, to use that term. They, they use it because Jesus is not doing good works now. He's just suffering something, and they say it's his passive righteousness. But to tell you the truth, there was never a more active moment in the life of the Son of God than on the cross. For the Scripture says that he did not just lie there on the cross waiting until it was over, resigned. The scripture said this was the great moment of his greatest, most active, most difficult obedience. Jesus Christ with all of his human soul and his divine power was actively pouring out his soul unto death with repentance for you saying, oh, Lord, I'm so sorry for their sins. It wasn't just physical. He was taking our sins upon him as responsibility and our imperfect repentance. He was repenting perfectly. Oh, Father, so sorry. Your righteousness deserves so much more. And he was repenting. And oh, the pain, the thirst, the difficulty of staying upon that cross, the temptation of those who are saying, if you're the Son of God, come down. And all his power and all his will and all his holy character was pushed actively into this one resolution. I shall stay in this hell until all is paid. The active righteousness of Jesus upon the cross. And that is because of the personality of the Lamb. He is the man for men who could really stand in our place, knowingly and lovingly. When John the Baptist finally comes, 
And the Son has been made flesh. The Word has been made flesh. God reveals not only the personality of the Lamb, but the identity of the Lamb. And finally, that Word that we were all waiting for, the generations upon generations of those who had hope in the coming Messiah, heard this Word from John the Baptist. Behold, the Lamb of God. Who takes away the sin of the world. And what a wonder that he's here, that he's come, that this is him, and that we know him. We know that it is Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of Man and the Son of God and no other. He is the way and the truth and the life, and there is no other. And as we come to the supper today, we exalt him as the one and only. The one and only Redeemer. The one and only Son of God. The one and only Lamb of God. Do you remember John in Revelation? He wept and he wept. This grown man, this old man, when the book, sealed book, is before him with the plan of God's redemption, and no one is found Neither in heaven nor on earth. Not Moses, not David, not the archangels. No one is found among all the creation in heaven and earth that is worthy, says the scripture, to open the book and to break its seals so that its plan is carried out. And then he said, the angel said, don't weep. For the Lion of Judah... And uh, the Lamb of God has overcome so as to break open the book. So we know the identity. We know who he is by God's grace. Don't ever think that you don't know God or the Savior. You know him now through the gospel if you're a believer. And he knows that you know him. And he loves that you know him. He loves that you know and believe that it is him. And the Father rejoices and loves you because you believe that Jesus is the one. It's a great thing in the eyes of Father for you to be one who believes in his precious Son as the Lamb. The last point that we see as we go on in scripture is that God reveals to us in the New Testament the victory of the Lamb. And it's interesting that as we read in 1 Peter 1, we find every point that I just told you. Let me read to you 1 Peter 1 and we'll finish with that. The need of the Lamb? Knowing that you were not, that you were, you, I'm sorry, that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things as silver and gold. There's the need of the lamb. The provision of the lamb. Peter goes on to say, he was foreknown before the foundation of the world. God had provided him. The provision was divine and not human. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but made manifest, there's the provision, and the last time for you who are believers, 
in him. The slaying of the lamb. He says, you were not redeemed with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of the lamb. There's the slaying of the lamb. And the purity of the lamb. The precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. There's the purity. And the personality and the identity of the lamb. He says that we're redeemed with the precious blood of who? Of Christ. And finally, he shows us this other point, the resurrection, the triumph of the Lamb, because he finishes by saying that we were redeemed through the precious blood of Christ and that through him we are believers in God who raised him from the dead, the triumph of the Lamb, and gave him glory so that our faith and hope are in God the triumph of the Lamb. He's given glory as the Lamb of God. Notice, not just as the Son of God. It is the Lamb of God that is exalted at the right hand of the Father. And the Father is saying, what you have done is a perfect triumph over all the sin of my people. All the sin. You know, we come to the Lord's Supper over and over again. Isn't it interesting to understand why the Lord's Supper is an institution as a repetitive institution? The baptism is one time, isn't it? It's the sacrament of entry into the people of God. And the Lord's Supper is the sacrament of continuation. And they speak to us of different realities. One of our entry and and the other of our keeping and of our nourishment and our strengthening along the way. But um, in the Old Testament, if there were many sacrificial meals, it was because there were many sacrifices. If you ate, you'll remember that the worshiper, um, once the animal was slain in certain sacrifices, part was given to God and burnt, and the other part was eaten by the worshiper and his family. And as they ate, that signified that they were eating a meal with God. God had his part, and and we had our part. We were eating a meal together. That's the image. And the image is, you were accepted at my table. I'm having my part. You're having your part. We're eating the same meal together because I accept you on the basis of the sacrifice that was laid down in your behalf. But uh, if there were many sacrificial meals, if you ate many times, it was because you had many animals that were sacrificed. But now this has all changed. Over and over we come to the Lord's Supper, and yet there was only one sacrifice 2,000 years ago. Only one. And every time we partake of the wine and the bread, which symbolize that one sacrifice 2,000 years ago, the message is the blood never loses its power. You're going on and on in the Christian life and you sin and you need strengthening. You're weak. And the sacrifice tells us, come to me. The blood of the Lamb has forgiven. It has cleansed you for this week and for this month and for this year. And over and over again we have to come. And God says to us by the Lord's Supper, Calvary is enough for you. Calvary is enough. Calvary is enough. The Lamb of God has done enough. No new sacrifice Not one whit. No new purgatory. No new paying. Don't make of your own confession and repentance 
a new payment. All has been paid. Yes, you must repent. Yes, you must be sanctified. But not to pay. Not to make up for your sins. I have done it all. I am the Lord. I have requisitioned that as my part. I am the Lamb of God. I stand alone in this matter. For you have nothing to do here. And you can do nothing here. And when we come to the Lord's table, we only see two elements on the table. We see the bread and we see the wine. And you've not brought these things. They come from the Lord Jesus. They are his body and his blood. And so we see in this continuing, continuing institution and sacrament that God says to us that this one sacrifice has a continuing power in your life. To keep you under the blessing and the favor and the love of God and his ever cleansing power. Isn't that wonderful? I just think that's amazing. And we come to the Lord's Supper and he imposes it upon us. You don't have a choice about coming to the Lord's Supper. The Lord says you must come and you must drink and you must eat because I will cleanse you. It's just like Jesus to Peter. Comes with his feet. You're going to wash my feet? Lord, don't wash my feet. I'm going to wash your feet. Put them over here. If I wash you not, you have no part with me. And our salvation, our cleansing is a lordly affair. Jesus is acting like a lord, a lord of grace, who comes to his elect and says, I will save your souls and I will save them from beginning to end. Eat, sit and eat. For I have paid it's just wonderful, isn't it? And we bless the Lord. And so when we come to the supper, we praise and we praise and we praise for we understand the doctrine and the reality of the Lamb. Shall we pray? Almighty and ever-living God, we want to say to you tonight that yes, we do understand what you've been trying to say all through history, pointing us and pointing us and pointing us in love and mercy to your precious Lamb and Son. We bless you. You deserve high praise, O Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, for this amazing grace and our precious Lord Jesus. What shall we say? What shall we say to thee? We thank you. And we receive with highest praise on our lips your bread and your wine tonight. Amen.